Good to see everybody tonight. It's here and nice and cool. Luther's got on his proud shirt tonight. Chest sticking out here, pooched out. I'm not going to ask him to do anything in public tonight. So you'll have to stand up before you. So We're glad all of you folks are here tonight. It's good to see you. I know it's hot outside, but at least we can are thankful that we don't live in the good old days, I guess, of days past and gone when there was no air conditioning. I just wonder how folks survive. How did folks survive back then with no air conditioning? I mean, everybody just must have stunk bad, don't you think so? <laughs> I don't know. Huh? Oh, yeah, it was tougher. Do what? Yeah. Anyhow, we're glad y'all are here. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. I am going to mention that tonight is the last night I'll be teaching because uh, next Wednesday night's the last Wednesday night of the quarter. And I've got Brandon Elliott that is scheduled to fill in for me, and he's going to be covering the character of Joseph. I talked to him about that, and I'm going to loan him my, some of my notes and all, so he'll be ready to go next Wednesday. Brandon always does a great job, and you'll very much enjoy that. But I sure have enjoyed being here, and I wish we had had some more time, although we're just about going to cover everybody I wanted to cover for the most part. I know we've rushed through some things, and I don't like to do that, but sometimes I feel like I have to, even though I don't need to. But uh, anyhow, thank you all for the way you all participated and of course, tonight we're talking about Moses. But before we get started tonight, I uh, hope you did get a bulletin and note the sick there. We do have several. Uh, COVID seems to be making rounds again, although it doesn't seem to be as bad as it has been with other kinds of COVID. Uh, this strain doesn't seem to work as hard on people as others. So uh, hopefully uh, everybody will do well as well as possible with it. But do keep in mind those that are sick in your prayers, those that are going through uh, surgeries. And, of course, Jerry Hester uh, passed away as well. And uh, we just need to remember all these folks in our prayers. So let's begin tonight, if you will, with a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for all you do for us. We do recognize that everything that we have in life comes from you. And we're so thankful for the physical and material things of life that you've richly blessed us with. Most of all, Father, we are indeed grateful for the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we're so thankful for the hope of heaven that we have when this life is over. Father, we're mindful of many that we are aware of that are sick. And we pray that uh, those that are attending to their needs will do such so that they can be restored to their health and as much good as possible can be done for their physical condition. We also pray for those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones, Father. Continue to comfort and strengthen them. Uh, we pray, Father, your blessings will continue to be on the church here at Boonville. We're thankful for all the good that the church here does, and we pray it will continue to do good and be a blessing, not only here in this community, but throughout the world. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who came and gave his life on the cross for our sins, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
A preacher one time was out, you know, making some visits, and at one house it was very obvious that somebody was at home, but in spite of his repeated knocks, no one came to the door. And so the preacher took out a little card and he wrote Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 on it, which says, of course, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, on Sunday, the individual with whom he had visited brought the card back to the preacher and it handed it to him and his message of Revelation 3 and verse 20 was on the front, but added to that message was Genesis 3 and verse 10, written in bold pen. And uh, that preacher reached for the Bible, and he wanted to check out Revelation 3 and verse 10, or verse 20, and it says there, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But Genesis 3 and verse 10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. So uh, anyhow, uh, things can turn out rather... Humorous and strange sometimes, so I thought you might enjoy that just a little bit. All right, Moses, one of my favorite characters to study about. And you know, when I look at Charlton Heston back there, first thing that comes to my mind is not Charlton Heston, it's Moses, right? I've watched the Ten Commandments ever since I was a little kid. I remember going to the theater to watch the Ten Commandments. And of course, I've always been aware of the fact that, you know, several things aren't biblically accurate, but... Boy, as a child, that thing just inspired me a lot, you know, about the power of God and so forth, the good things that were in it. And uh, I think they made that movie, if I remember correctly, in 1956 It's when that movie came out. I'll still watch it today, you know, when it's on. It comes on sometime around Easter time on like a Saturday night, but I just enjoy that. And I always think about Charlton Heston when I think about Moses and the, the last four books of the Pentateuch are taken up with the life of Moses. You think about the giving of the law. You think about the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, Moses was their leader during this particular time. Uh, the life of Moses can be divided up into three periods of 40 years each. The first 40 years he spent as a member of the royal family of Egypt. Uh, he had it very well during those 40 years. The second 40 years he spent as a shepherd. He was in charge of the sheep uh, that belonged to his father-in-law, whose name was what? Y'all remember? Jethro. Jethro. All right. Now, Jethro's another character I like to look at. He gave some advice to Moses one time that was very, very helpful, and it's advice that we need to study today when it comes to leadership. But that's another lesson for another time. And, of course, the third... Uh, 40 years he spent as the leader of the nation of Israel. I think it's interesting here to note that Moses was already an old man when he led Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He wasn't a young man anymore. And I think we can prove it time and time again that some of the most creative work and the best work that an individual can do is when he's up in years. When an individual has advanced in years, they can still be very, very effective in the Lord's kingdom. And we've, I think, seen that personally, and we see that in the life of the character Moses. Someone once said that Moses spent the first 40 years learning how to be exalted. He spent the second 40 years learning to how to be abased, and that prepared him for the 40 years as the leader of God's people. Now, incidental to our study of Moses, 
would be such things as the birth of Moses or uh, the fact that Moses was found uh, in the bulrushes by Pharaoh's daughter. You think about the ten plagues. Y'all, can y'all sing the ten plagues in here? You know, We're not going to really talk about that tonight. Uh, but that's incidental, and also the giving of the law. Uh, now these all are very, very important, but as it pertains to our study, we will only notice them as they help us to get a better insight and understanding to the man Moses. And so there's some lessons that I want us to look at tonight about Moses that we can learn that can certainly be helpful to us. Moses was a great man in many, many respects. And uh, you think about when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was called there on the scene to encourage our Lord during that time? Y'all remember? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. You know, we've always emphasized in these lessons that, you know, these people were human beings just like we are, subject to the same frailties and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, Moses was really a poor excuse for a follower of God when he made excuse after excuse as to why he could not go and lead the people out of Egyptian bondage. He finally just said, and the Lord's anger was kindled against him. He said, I just want you to send somebody else. Don't send me. And uh, then you think about Elijah. I'm off the subject a little bit, I know, but you know, uh, you think about these individuals. Elijah one time stood on Mount Carmel, right, and defied those 450 prophets of Baal. You know, he brought an entire nation to repentance. And yet, it wasn't long after that till Jezebel sent word that by this time tomorrow, you're going to be a dead man, just like one of those prophets. And what did Elijah do? The Bible says he went for his life, and he went and sat down, and he asked that he might die. So you got two individuals here, Moses, who offered excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he couldn't serve the Lord. You've got Elijah who became so discouraged and depressed that he wanted to die. And yet who are the two individuals on the Mount of Transfiguration that were there to encourage our Lord? It was that old excuse-making man named Moses. And it was that man that became so depressed he wanted to die, that prophet Elijah. So the point is... God can use people like those individuals. Can he use me in his service? Yeah. God can certainly use us in his service. Uh, God can use anybody as long as we allow ourselves to be used. But the first thing I want to notice about Moses tonight here, number one, Moses knew how to refuse the things of this world even to the point of turning down the riches of Egypt. Now, you just got to admire Moses for being able to turn away from the riches and the wealth of Egypt. Now someone might say, well, he had to leave Egypt. He was forced to leave Egypt after he killed the Egyptian in Exodus chapter 2. But Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25 says it was a matter of choice with him. By faith, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So evidently Moses had made his choice when he killed that Egyptian. If you look at Hebrews 11 and verse 27, the Bible says that his forsaking of Egypt was not because he feared the wrath of the king. That wasn't why he uh, forsook Egypt, but it was because of his faith and 
the implication here is, is that had he been afraid of the king, he would have not forsaken Egypt. And that's certainly not true. You know, sometimes, and I think we can learn from Moses, sometimes we allow fear to keep us from doing those things that we should do, don't we? You know, fear is a great enemy of those who are following Christ today. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 talks about the fearful and among other characteristics there, the unbelieving and so forth, shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so fear, the Bible says, can keep us out of heaven. I'm not talking about being afraid of earthquakes or tornadoes or spiders or things of that nature. We're not talking about that kind of fear, you know. We're talking about the kind of fear that would keep us from being faithful to God, giving in to the pressure because of fear, the fear of what somebody might say about us or the fear of what somebody may do to us or how we might be viewed uh, in the sight of other people. And uh, you think about that one talent man that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25 and verse 25. He said, I was afraid. Remember? I was afraid. And I just went and hid my talent. And so fear can keep us from doing things for God, can't it? You know, fear can keep us maybe from reaching out to the lost. We may be afraid of what, you know, we're going to say. We're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, right? What are some other things that we as Christians can fear if we're not careful? Well, we need to be fearing that, don't we? Right? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But what are some other things that we might fear that would keep us from serving God like we should? Anybody got any thoughts on that? Okay, rejection. You know, the sense of belonging is very strong, particularly among young people, isn't it? to be accepted. And so even among young people that might be considered strong Christians that grew up in a Christian home, it might be easy even for them to give in to the pressure because they want to belong so desperately to be a part. And so they may fear speaking about their faith, right? And so forth. Anybody else got any thoughts on what people might fear as far as uh, our Christian walk today? All right, losing your family, right? You know, you may fear that if I do what's right, my family's going to reject me. And take it a step further, maybe your friends are going to reject you. And so there's going to be some difficult things that we face if we're going to be faithful to God. And uh, Moses did not allow his fear of the king in any way to keep him from doing what was right. You know, God's people, just like Moses, have always had to say no and mean no. Think about Joseph, right, in Potiphar's household. Remember, Potiphar's wife came to him and right at the perfect time said, come and lie with me. The Bible talks about how she had tried to seduce him day after day. And on this particular occasion, it was just right. You know, he was all alone in the house taking care of the business of Potiphar. And she grabbed him by his coat and said, lie with me. And what did he do? He ran. He left the coat in her hand, right? He got out of there. You know, the Bible says flee fornication. That's exactly what you do. That's not the kind of sin that you stand around and argue about, right? 
you flee from it. You flee from sexual immorality. Joseph said no. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The answer is no. Or you think about Daniel and the three Hebrew children. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they said, no, we will not bow down to this idol, right? And uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, gave them another opportunity. Even they refused to bow down. And they finally made the point, you know, even if God does not spare our lives, we will not bow and worship that graven image, O king. We will not do it. And so here were young men that had a lot of stamina about them, a lot of conviction, and they were true to their conviction, even though it might mean physical death. Now, did Adam and Eve say no? No. They said yes. You know, give me of the forbidden fruit. They, they didn't have the courage and, to say no. And the Bible says, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so we need to learn from Moses that just as he said no to the riches and the fame of Egyptian wealth, we need to say no maybe to the evils of this world, don't we? You know, we see evil all around us. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James warned us in chapter 4 and verse 4 that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And uh, those that are friends of the world are like adulterers and adulteresses. Also, maybe we have to say no to secular pursuits that claim priorities rightly belonging to God. Uh, you know, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, and that's easier said than done. And it may be that there's some secular pursuits that may keep us from having the loyalty and the commitment that we need to Jesus Christ and His Word. Or maybe we need to say no to things that would hinder our influence for good. Maybe there's some things out there that in and of themselves aren't necessarily right or wrong, but, you know, I look in the mirror and Paul said what? It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. When Paul looked in the mirror, he didn't see himself anymore, did he? He saw Christ. And that's how he made his decisions, you know based upon what Christ would do. And so uh, when it comes to making decisions, uh, difficult decisions about our influence, then we may have to say no. Uh, maybe it's the temptation to neglect our duty. You know, James said in chapter 4 and verse 17 that whosoever knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Uh, good intentions aren't going to accomplish anything, aren't they? Somebody said the world is paved with good intentions. But uh, good intentions won't get us anywhere. We have to act. We have to serve in uh, the, every way we can. We have to say no to selfishness. Some people are so caught up with me and myself and I and my needs and my wants and my desires and what I want that it's hard for them to look on the needs of the kingdom, you know, on the things of others, how that they can be servants to other people and ultimately to God. And so one will never live the Christian life successfully unless they learn to say no. And it's a fact that faithful service to God has always included a negative aspect. So let's learn from Moses to say no when we need to say no. Number two, though, Moses knew the value of wise choices. Let me ask you, why do you think Moses 
chose to suffer with the people of God rather than the riches of Egypt. Why do you think Moses knew and had the stamina to make right choices? Why, why is that? Anybody got any ideas on that? Okay. Now that's one thing about these Ten Commandments that just flabbergasts me, right? You know, Moses in the movie, the Ten Commandments, finds out he's a Hebrew when? After some kind of drama, you know, whatever. He finally finds out that, you know, he's a Hebrew after all. He didn't know that before, according to the movie. That's false, isn't it? Remember what Miriam did? What did Miriam do when uh, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses? I'll get you a nursemaid, right? So Moses' mother was able to, able to raise him. See, Moses, unlike this particular movie here uh, that depicts Moses as not understanding who he was or anything until he was maybe 40-something years old, the truth is, Jochebed, his mother, taught him about God, taught him about uh, the Scriptures, and uh, as the New Testament talks about parents bringing up their children and the nurture and admission of the Lord, I think that was certainly true of Moses. And I, I, I really believe that. But Moses knew the value of wise choices. He chose that which was pleasing to God and in that in which he could be the greatest amount of service to his people. Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So what kind of choice are we going to make when it comes to that? If we do what's right, if we live godly, we're going to suffer persecution. Somebody says, well, you know, I've been a Christian a long time and I've never been persecuted. Might want to keep that to yourself, maybe, right? But if that's true, maybe you haven't been living and walking godly in Christ Jesus. I think about Ruth and the choice that she made. You recall uh, Naomi and the story of Ruth, and it's used in weddings sometime, where Ruth told Naomi, entreat me not to leave you nor return from following after you, for whether you go, I will go. Whether you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and, and my, your God, my God. And where you die and are buried, there will I be buried also. The Lord do so to me and more also. Fault but death, part me and thee. And so uh, Ruth made a, a wise choice. She chose to leave her own people behind and dwell with Naomi. And I think we need to impress as grandparents and as parents today, we need to impress upon our children and teach them the value of choosing wisely while they're young. Because you see, so many choices that we make have far-reaching consequences. And sometimes we don't take the time and examine where our choices are ultimately going to lead us. And particularly, that's true of young people, isn't it? You know, it's a scientific fact that brains are not really fully formed until somebody's 25 years old, right? I know when I was 18 years old and I graduated from high school, I changed a whole lot by the time I finished high school and I finished college, right? Yeah, remember not the sins of my youth. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Uh, I think about uh, impressing upon our young people and even us today about the importance of choosing the right companions. 
Is it true that evil companions corrupt good morals? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I've always said if I can spend 10 minutes with three of your best friends, I believe I can tell a lot about your character. And so uh, companions and who we choose as companions is very important. Also, who you choose as husband and wife. That's going to be a great influence in your life. You know, whether you serve God faithfully or whether you don't serve God faithfully. And some people serve God faithfully with a spouse that is not willing to advocate and believe like they do, but it's difficult for them, isn't it? Very difficult for them to do what's right. Uh, it's a lot easier when you've got a husband and a wife that are on the same page spiritually, and they both have one goal in mind to help each other get to heaven and to help direct their children to heaven when this life is over. And uh, choosing a spouse is a very important decision. And there are many people that have gone into a relationship, maybe they've married somebody whom they have some doubts about, only to have that doubt actually realized as the years go by. Uh, I think about college and universities. Uh, many young people who go to college choose a spouse from those college acquaintances, don't they? Uh, you know, it is a fact that you will marry somebody that you date. You know, if I want some corn, I'm going to go to a cornfield, right? I'm not going to go to the uh, soybean field, and there may be a stray corn stalk or two out there, right? And I might get some corn. I might find some along the way, you know, a stray seed here and there. I want to go where there's corn. If I want to marry a Christian spouse, what do I want to do? I want to go where there's going to be uh, favorable candidates uh, for me and my future uh, marriage. And so uh, who you marry, the college you attend, can be very, very important. What about your op occupation? Uh, we need to make sure it's consistent with Christianity and won't interfere uh, with our obligations to God. Even where to live. We talked about Lot, remember? How he cast his tent towards Sodom. And uh, he lost his wife, he lost his daughters and his sons-in-law, he lost his home, and uh, he lived a life of regret because of a choice that he made. And uh, we're more than anything else the product of our choices, aren't we? All of us are the product of our choices. But quickly, we need to move on. Moses was an example of meekness. Meekest man on earth. The Bible says in Numbers 12 and 3, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, if you turn to the pages of the New Testament, you're going to find several verses there that talk about the importance of meekness. And, for example, Matthew 5 and verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said in Matthew 11 verse 29, Take my yoke up on you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, uh, Peter said, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Notice that, the meek and quiet spirit. Galatians 5 and verse 23 talks about among the fruits of the spirit, meekness, gentleness. Uh, temperance, and so forth. Uh, Galatians 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, 
restore such an one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness. Uh, and that's very, very important. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 21 tells us to receive with meekness the implanted word. We're to receive with meekness the implanted word. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25, the Bible says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, let's talk about meekness and what it is for just a moment. You know, meekness is not in any way to be confused with weakness. Neither Moses or Jesus was weak in any way whatsoever. Uh, there's no way you could even begin to categorize those two individuals as being weak. Now, the word meek in the original language is translated uh, gentle or mild. Uh, in one theological dictionary of the New Testament, it says the word was used in describing a person as being mild, friendly, gentle, pleasant, as opposed to rough and hard and being harsh and violent. You see, it's the disposition that we uh, put out before people. Uh, it further states in commenting on the word in Galatians 6 and verse 1, how we are to restore our brethren a spirit of weakness. It says it enables the Christian to correct the erring brother without being arrogant, without being impatient or angry. You know, if we're trying to convert somebody and they're not listening to us, we, can't, we ought not ever become impatient or angry. You know, it may take years to convert somebody, right? We never give up, but we're always gentle in our approach to them. Uh, in James 1 verse 21, it says the word here refers to a meek and humble readiness to be taught by the word of God without flaring up against the teacher. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, the implanted word. In other words, when we're being taught the word of God, when we're studying the word of God, we receive it with meekness. We don't flare up. We don't become angry because we don't like what it says. We have a meek spirit. Now, Moses' meekness is seen in the way he dealt with his people time and time again. Even his own brother and sister. Remember Aaron and Miriam in Numbers chapter 12, and we know how uh, Miriam became leprous, you know, because she defied the authority of Moses. And Moses was always meek in handling situations. It's a sign of strength, not weakness. And we need to learn to be gent gentler and kinder and more patient and less arrogant. I know I do. And chances are very good if we can learn that, we'll be a lot happier in this life. And so meekness is an attitude that, that we are to possess. I know when we say the fruits of the Spirit with the kids, you know, we use the word gentleness there. And that's exactly what it means. You can still be bold. You can still be firm, right? You can stand strong, but you can do it gently, can't you? You can do it in a mild manner. And that's what Moses was able to do. I think that's one reason why he was such a very 
effective leader. Let me also suggest that Moses had a strong desire to maintain unity and peace. You know, when those spies returned from spying out the land of Canaan and gave their report, uh, God said to Moses about this faithless people, now notice what he said here in, uh, in the, in, to Moses in response to this. He said, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be with, where they don't believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I'll make of you, Moses, a great nation mightier than they. And of course, if you look at verses 13 through 19, you can see the response of Moses. You know, if ever a group of people have been justified in dividing the congregation, here it was Moses, wasn't it? Now, he had rebelled against God, they disbelieved God, and God says, uh, Moses, let's just forget about these folks, and I'll make a great nation out of you. God could still have kept his promise, couldn't he? It just, might, it just wouldn't have gone the way that we read about it in the Bible, you know, right now. And what did Moses say? He begged God not to do that. He said, what are nations around you going to say if you destroy this people? You brought them out here, you saved them, and then you killed them all. Uh, you know, Moses was very, very uh, accommodating to the people being united together. And unity is something that we need to learn as well in the Lord's church. The Bible says, Behold, and how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalms 133 and verse 1. We're to speak the same thing, the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Now, in matters of faith, uh, we have to submit to the authority of the Bible. In matters of opinion, we submit to the authority of our overseers, the elders of the congregation. To reject the authority of the elders is to reject the authority of God. We learn that from Miriam. We learned that from Aaron's rebellion against Moses, right? You reject who God's put in authority, you reject the authority of God himself. And I wouldn't want to stand before God on the day of judgment after having done that. Because you see, elders don't rule in matters of authority. They don't make any decisions regarding what the Bible says we must do. Their decisions come in matters of judgment, right? In other words, they can't say, well, we're not going to meet on the first day of the week anymore. We're going to start meeting on Monday. They can't do that. But they can decide what time we meet on Sunday, can't they? You know, they decide, you know, where the money's going to be spent. They decide certain things, and it doesn't matter whether I agree with it or not. I need to be agreeable in matters of opinion. I may not get my way all the time. Things may not go the way I want. It may upset me. But I need to have an attitude that I'm going to go along and I'm going to support them even in matters that I might disagree with if it's a matter of judgment. And uh, we need to understand that we need to compromise our own personal preferences, not principles, but we need to compromise our personal preferences for the sake of unity. I wish I had more time. Let's move on. Moses had faith that enabled him to endure as seeing the invisible. Now we talked about the things which are temporary, things which you see, right? Things which are unseen are eternal. Moses had the ability to focus on things that were invisible. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the kind of faith that caused us to act as if we could actually see God looking at us all the time? 
You know, if we had that kind of faith, what about our worship? Would our worship not be more reverent and from the heart more if we had the kind of faith that calls us to act as if God is actually looking at us? What about our prayers? What about our service to God? What about the places we go, the language that we use, uh, the way that we dress, our influence in general? If we somehow had the faith that acted like God is actually watching us and we were aware of that, you know, we would, we would be much more effective in serving the Lord. And Moses could see that which is invisible. i got three minutes. Next, Moses' faith led him to obey God. You know, even, connection, even in connection with arbitrary commands, you think about the specifics of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. There's many things that were meticulously laid out uh, there. And uh, Moses believed in obeying God to the best of his ability, doing everything that God said to do. And of course, uh, the only kind of real faith is an obedient faith. James talked about that. And uh, of course, Moses made one mistake there that we read about. You know, he took glory for himself. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock and wasn't allowed to enter the land of Canaan. Certainly he was in heaven because we're going to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by. But that incident emphasizes the necessity of strict obedience even to the arbitrary commands of God. We need to respect God's authority in all things. Everything comes down to the authority of God. It doesn't come down to our preferences and our desires. And then let me suggest as well that Moses died as he lived. He died in submission to the will of God. Uh, Moses, I think, died on his birthday. Now, I don't know how many people have done that in the past, but Moses died on his birthday because he said here in Deuteronomy 31, verse 12, he said to them, I'm 120 years old this day. Now, maybe, he's, maybe he was still 120, but he, and I'm still 120 now. But it says, you know, he said, I'm 120 years old this day, and... Uh, I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. And so Moses knew he was going to die. He knew that he would not be able to enter the land of promise, but he called the congregation together to instruct them and to admonish them one more time. Moses was active until the very day he died. He was not bitter because he was not being permitted to enter the land of Canaan. And can you imagine the ache in his heart that must have been there as he had led those people and had endured all that he had endured? I don't know how the man kept his sanity. And now he's not even allowed to go into the land of Canaan. But of course, God allowed him to view the land from the top of Mount Pisgah, and he could die with the satisfaction of knowing that his life had been given in helping God's people reach their goal. Now, am I going to be able to die with that kind of satisfaction? That I've served God, that I've helped other people reach their goal. He died alone, though. There was no friend with him. There was no family member standing beside him, maybe to hold his hand when he died. He died alone, but in a sense, I think it's true we all die alone, don't we? Uh, because so far as human loved ones are concerned, none of them can pass through death with us. We, we go ourselves when we die. Uh, in another sense, the child of God is not alone. 
because the Bible says the angels came and carried away Lazarus when he died, right? And uh, I think there's an implication there for us. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And when a faithful Christian dies, the implication there is is that God's angels are going to escort us uh, into Abraham's bosom. Now, Moses was buried in an unmarked grave in the land of Moab. No human being then knew where that grave was, and nobody knows where that grave is today. And uh, I think that is something special about that. It'd be interesting to know what transpired between the time Moses viewed, you know, the mountain, and then he uh, died, and God buried him. And it'd be kind of interesting if we had uh, an account of that and what transpired. Yeah, but yeah, you'd probably have to go up in the mountain, though. So, I don't know. Maybe they got enough sense to know that we can't get away with that one. I don't know. But you never know. But anyhow, I appreciate so much our inside. I've got 742, so the bell should have rung, and people will be coming back in a minute. But thank you all for your attention this quarter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss that shirt of yours, Luther. And... Uh, I appreciate it very much. I appreciate your cooperation, the way you've listened. I'll be teaching down in the annex next quarter. I guess I'm preaching. I'm teaching the same stuff here, and what's being taught down there is going to come up here. So uh, I forget what that's going to be, but it'll be. Uh, oh yeah, Ken's teaching. That's going to be outstanding. It'll be outstanding. So y'all will be richly blessed beginning in August. Thank you so much for your attention. <laughs>
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul?
time for us to go ahead and begin the closing part of our service tonight. We want to thank you folks for being here tonight. Uh, there's other things that maybe you could have done, but we're glad you're here, and I hope you've uh, uh, been blessed as a result of being here and being a part of our Bible classes. We have guests that we're honored to welcome tonight. Thank you for being here, and uh, maybe don't rush off too quickly. Give us a chance to say hello to you and tell you how sincere we are when we say we're glad you're here. Be sure to pick up one of our bulletins as you leave tonight. It's got an update on the sick. Of course, we want to express our sympathy to the family of Jerry Hester, who passed away uh, yesterday evening. Also, uh, Maywood Session 8 begins this coming Sunday. Uh, the bus is going to leave here from the TAC at 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon and return around noon on Saturday. It says here, you... Your name must be on the list to ride the bus. Uh, there's a lot more details about uh, camp there in the bulletin that you need to take note of. But in particular, though, uh, if you're going to bring one of the cakes in the annex, please make sure it's in the annex by noon on Sunday. There's also a bridal shower table set up in the foyer for Crystal Jackson, the bride-elect of Tristan uh, Michael. Uh, also, there's going to be a Bible class teachers meeting coming up on Sunday the 31st at 3.30 in the Annex. We're also going to have a special day on that Sunday evening the 31st as we emphasize our Bible classes. We'll have an extended kids seeing. Our kids are going to be promoted. They'll find out who their new teachers are and uh, we'll have a message that uh, talks about how important our teaching program is. So please mark your calendars for the 31st. The food pantry and clothes closet is going to be open tomorrow from 9 until 1030. It's very interesting that we've already helped some 100 family units uh, this month already. And the pantry item this week is mac and cheese. The Golden Circle is going to be going to Miss Magnolia's for breakfast this coming Monday the 25th. The bus will leave at 830. Uh, Ken's going to be going to camp uh, starting Sunday afternoon, and I'm going to begin a gospel meeting myself on Sunday with the Berea Church over in Fayette, Alabama. So I'll be gone Sunday uh, through Wednesday of next week. For our devotional tonight, uh, Ken is going to be leading our singing, and Brother Merle Crow will dismiss us in prayer at the appropriate time. Please go ahead and mark in your psalm book number 943, 943. Do you know my Jesus? After you've marked that, please turn to 869, 869. We're marching to Zion. We'll sing the first and last verse. Complete and love the Lord and the
One of the most comforting verses in all the Bible is a verse that we find in Romans, the 8th chapter, the very first verse. And there the Apostle Paul writes, There is now no condemnation to them who are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now you think about that for just a moment. The Bible says there is a place where there's no condemnation. Where is that place, Paul? It's in Christ Jesus. That's why it's so important for an individual to be in Christ where all spiritual blessings are. Being in Christ means a place where there's no condemnation. Well, somebody may ask the question, how does one get into Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 3 that we are baptized into Christ. And so according to the scriptures, the only way that an individual can get into Jesus Christ, can get into that place, where there's no condemnation is to be baptized into Christ. You know, the book of Acts serves as a, a pattern by which we uh, observe how various individuals got into Christ through their obedience to the gospel. And we know that those individuals that were baptized into Christ were individuals that were believers in Christ. They believed that he was the Son of God. They were willing to repent and change their lives. And they were willing to then submit to the Lord in baptism, having their sins washed away as they are immersed in water, arising from that watery grave, a new creation, now in Christ Jesus. Is that a blessing that you enjoy tonight? Are you tonight in that place of no condemnation? Now the verse doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, it's possible for one to be in Christ and yet not walk according to the Spirit. One may be serving the lust of the flesh. One may have left their first love and left faithfulness to Christ to serve self and to serve the world, but you can come back home. You can be restored to the Lord. You can once again begin to walk after the Spirit as you make your life right as a child of God. And so tonight we offer this song of invitation, and tonight if you're subject to it, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your house to worship you. May we do it in spirit and truth. Be with us now and be with our campers this week as they go to camp. May they conduct themselves in a way that will be your approval and learn much from your word. ask you now to be with the rest of us. Help us to live your life through ours and just uh, conduct ourselves in a way that people will recognize uh, the light of your light as it shines through us. ask you now to uh, be with those that are sick, those that are bereaved, those uh, that are uh, having surgery, other problems. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.